I'm Chris Van Oker, and I'm hosting a new podcast called The Van Oker Group. Once a month, I gather a panel of funny, brilliant, and partially unstable guests to discuss local and national politics. Subscribe to the Van Oker Group podcast on iTunes, the Google Play Music app, or Spreaker.com. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Go Eat Show. I'm Bill Allred, and uh, today we're going to be talking to filmmaker Tyler Meesum. Uh, I don't know if that name rings a bell, uh, but it should, because he's directed a couple of very well-thought-of documentaries. Uh, he's directed uh, one called The Sons of Perdition and one called An Honest Liar, which uh, you'll hear me call the wrong name several times during the interview. Uh, and I don't know why I did that, because I know that the movie that Tyler made, the documentary about the amazing Randy, is called An Honest Liar. I know that, but for some reason, at least three times, I referred to it by another title. Weird. Anyway, uh, Tyler, uh, I, I enjoyed talking to him. I think you'll enjoy hearing about uh, his new projects. He's working on some very exciting stuff. Uh, but first, let me remind you, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, right? P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com. Look up The Let's Go Eat Show. There's some extra material there for just a minor amount of money, a small amount of money, or a lot of money if you want to spend a lot of money. You can get extra material uh, that you won't get anywhere else, extra material that has to do with The Let's Go Eat Show. So with that being said, let's talk to Utah documentary filmmaker, documentary? Documentary filmmaker, Tyler Meeson. You're okay. Can I? Am I okay? In yeah. Your headphones. Need Everything's more or good. Less? Everything's good. Uh, any ground rules? Anything? I can't. No, can't. Shouldn't. You can say whatever you want. Okay. You can swear. You can. We do aren't whatever. into censorship here. That's right. Unless you make negative comments about my appearance, and then we cut all that out. <laughs> I save it in a special file oh, though there. that I have. There. Just. <laughs> just for me. There goes half my shtick. What else? <laughs> Uh, so I guess we're rolling, so let's just do the goddamn show. Uh, Tyler Meesum in, in the uh, studio here. Uh, and Tyler, I guess, I think of you as a, as kind of an old friend. Yeah, I, uh, I've been on your show a number of times. Yeah, and it's funny, I think it was about the third time that you were on our show that I finally remembered who you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know who you are. That's when I remembered who I was, too. It's uh, it's so. funny, though, because, uh, you know, I uh, Tyler Meeson, we should say, uh, a producer and director, documentary films, and we'll get into all of those and current projects. Uh, probably the most famous one is An Honest Liar. Yeah, which I want to which, which yeah. I want to talk about because yeah, yeah. because I loved it and everybody who I know who's seen it they always go God that's a just a great thanks uh, yeah. documentary but uh, yeah, so I'm proud so, of that film you should be so Tyler was on our film uh, on our show a long time ago we, I don't know was it wasn't Sons of was it Sons of Perdition the first time or sometime I, I, before that I think Sons of Perdition may have been the first time I was on it and then I was on it oh God I don't remember uh, there was a film that came into town that I play to the tower and then an honest liar and then i don't remember man so uh, so so um let's uh, go back to uh let's start at the beginning with tyler meesum mm. uh growing up a, a young mormon kid in some town where here in some town yeah i mean I, you know my parents moved from northern california central california to Pleasant Grove Utah PG yeah you were a caveman I was no that's a caveman 
Isn't that How pleasant? How dare world? you? Weren't they the K? Aren't no, they the that's cavemen? American Fork. Oh, yeah. bitter rivals. God, I don't know. Jesus. So what's it, the American God. Fork? What's wait, the Pleasant wait. Grove? Uh, it's the it's the Pleasant Grove. Uh, I beet think, diggers. I, I, no, no, that's George. <laughs> no, that's that's I know what it's the this boot would be makers. Good Utah the boot makers. It is the boot lickers. Very boot close. Lickers. Boot very lickers. close. No. Uh, it is the Vikings. Vikings. That would be a very Vikings. good trivia for Utah. You know, name yeah. your high yeah. school. Well, I it would be, except they're all they all end up being just like most of them are just dumb animals. Yeah, you right. know, Like the, the cougars the, the, and the wildcats. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, I think there's like six Vikings. <laughs> so you, uh, I read was reading your bio a little while ago, a few hours ago or an hour ago, and it said that on uh, Pornhub.com was yeah. that the one on Pornhub? Mm-hmm. Oh no, I go to RedTube. Ah, <laughs> <that's good. laughs> So, uh, so it said that you uh, were inspired to make movies by seeing an episode of Different Strokes, and I thought <laughs> that's, that's bullshit. That's that's really total. It was bullshit. facts of life. It was definitely no. It says Different Strokes, and it's on your website. Right, that may be a slight bit of sarcasm coming off my bio. But w- so, why did you decide to get I, into making movies? I mean, I mean, I was always interested in arts and being an artist. Um, I was, uh, you know, in my family, even though we were raised kind of a Mormon and in a small town. Kind of and, Mormon. Okay, very Mormon. Mm-hmm. Very Mormon. Of which I no longer am, and we can get to that or not. Mm-hmm. That could be for a different podcast. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, arts was very important, and uh, creativity was very important, and I was always an artist, and uh, I actually remember my aunt took took me to see Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. and you know, as a 10-year-old boy watching that film, man, that was like everything. It had everything in it. And I don't even remember or know why, but I remember like just being dumbfounded by it to where afterwards I didn't speak for three hours and my aunt was like, are you okay? Is there something wrong? And I just remember processing this whole thing of this movie affected me so greatly that I think I realized at that moment that that's kind of what I wanted to do, not knowing what the hell that even was, you know, that mm-hmm. I wanted to be a movie maker. You, I mean, so you, but uh, you ended up uh, not making narrative films generally. You end up making documentaries. You know, which is kind of out of left field because I never really intended to make documentaries. I always had a love of them. Um, and I remember distinctly watching uh, uh, The War Room, uh, oh, yeah, which yeah. is that great, uh, great Pennebaker film. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, it's not Pennebaker, and I forget the directors. Uh, but it's it's such had an effect on me that they were able to capture that. Now, I rewatched it a few years ago, and it just doesn't have the same effect as it mm-hmm. did then because Verite equipment and Verite filmmaking has advanced so much. But I just really loved the nature and form of documentary. But I never really intended to do it. I was trying to make narratives, and I was doing commercials and doing narrative short films. And I actually produced a narrative film called Take that had Minnie Driver and Jeremy Renner. I, I saw, I was looking at that, and um, it, 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 it didn't get very good reviews. And it was okay. I mean, it played Tribeca. It got picked up by Showtime. It had a theatrical oh, did, run. It did have a theatrical run. Um, it did. It did okay. Um, it, it was a little dark. It was a little mm-hmm. heavy during a. I was looking at the Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes um, yeah. um, explanation of it, and I noticed that there were like 12 producers on that movie. <laughs> As there are. Why, uh, is that, is uh, that common? Mm. You were one of the you know, executive is, producers. Yeah, I, I, I helped put it together, package it, uh, raised a lot of the money for it, mm-hmm. and saw it all the way through. So yeah, there were a number of producers, and some of them are just people that just like, here's some money. Oh, that's how you get your- Right, mm-hmm. and obviously I didn't put any money in, mm-hmm. um, nor did I get any out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Um, but it was, you know, it was a great experience. It did very well. 
Uh, Jeremy Renner. You want to do more of that? Yeah. I saw the scene from it. Jeremy Renner looked like he was about 18. He was, um, and I hopefully he still is. I haven't talked to him in a while, but the kindest guy. Just the nicest. Was he most really? Most down to earth. Hmm. Come and sit with the crew. Hang out. Like him and I went to film festivals together and just had a great time. He was just so mellow. And I hope that he still is because he was one of the nicest guys I've ever known. So yeah, it, it was a good film and it, it did very well. And then for some reason... Uh, for some reason, just like I went to Sundance with uh, a friend of mine, Jenny mm-hmm. Lynn Merton, and we watched an amazing documentary. And I said, God, we should make a documentary. Like, it just sounds like so great. And we said, why don't we make one on these polygamous kids? The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. And at the time, you know, it was it was, it was was quite in the news. They were kicking a lot of boys out. It was during Warren Jeff's reign. And for anyone who doesn't know, there's a town in southern Utah called Colorado City, and it's the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, and they practice polygamy, and they're very remote, and they... They, they, they don't, at the time, they didn't let their uh, anyone read the newspaper, listen to music, uh, watch movies, and obviously uh, worthy men were given X amount of wives, sometimes to the tune of seven, sometimes mm-hmm. to the tune of 50. And often very young. Uh, often very, very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were routinely exercising, excising these young boys, because kicking them they, out. Because the young boys wanted to be with the young girls. And, but the young the young girls were you know reserved for the old elders of the church right and you know it's a little deeper than that sometimes sure. it's like who who's going to be the best who's going to grow up to be you know worthy who's going to bring more money into this business or the these bo- or these boys are troublemakers or they don't right. work hard enough right. or whatever so they throw them out of the community right so and they don't have anywhere to go right and more than that they're uh, they're told they're going to hell. You know, they they're told you no longer have a family. So they they come from families that you and I can't even imagine. Even by Utah standards, these are big families of forty, fifty people, six, seven moms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're told you're going to hell, uh, and that's hard to reconcile. Who for turned a you on to this this story? Well, it was you know it was in the news, and uh, uh, you know I'd heard about it, and I thought what an amazing story, and and we tirelessly worked. To get into this, uh, to get access to these kids, and at the time, there were probably a dozen filmmakers trying to make that same film. Most of them, in fact, all of them, from out of state. You know, they'd come mm-hmm. in from New York and they'd try to talk to these young boys and try and, and then they'd leave, and then they'd come in from L.A. and they'd try to talk to these young boys. And we just kept coming back and back and back. And I remember meeting the first uh, kids. Like we'd finally worked with these uh, social workers to try and introduce us to these mm. young boys. And they were very standoffish and nervous and scared of Gentiles as we were. And they were telling us about like what life was like in Colorado City. And they said, we sang hymns. And they started singing this hymn. And it was you know a Mormon hymn. And mm-hmm. Jenny and I, Jenny Lynn Merton, my co-director at the time, we, were, we started singing along with them. And they went, oh, my God, you guys understand. You what know, hymn was this? Oh, God, I don't remember. You don't remember what hymn it was? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't. Um, no, I don't remember. Mm. So at that point, we, we were ingrained in it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we started following these young boys, and then... There were three kids that you particularly followed, a Barlow, and I can't remember the other... Uh, there was a, a Bruce Barlow. Um, <laughs> it's it's been names. a while ago. I spent ago. years with them. Well, it's been a while. Um, uh, Sam Zitting mm-hmm. and Joe Broadbent. And we kind of followed them for two and a half years, and we watched them grow and more than just, you know, ultimately they, they figured out the world they didn't understand. 
but more it was it was a journey of their mind in some sense of reconciling the fact that they're not going to hell it's one thing to leave colorado city it's another thing to leave it in your mind and these kids were like 15 16 when you yeah, first started 14, i think 14 yeah. through 16 the three of them you have any idea what became of the three of them mm-hmm. i talk with them every once in a while they're great yeah. uh, one yeah. of them joe has moved back down to colorado city hmm. He got a piece of land. The city, you know, the state was giving away anyone who could contribute. Yeah, it's been they've been, they've broken up that that trust that right. the, the brotherhood trust and right. and a, uh, if you a lot of the people who live there, if they want some land, they can they yeah. can go get it. Apply yeah, to and he work, did, yeah. and so he has like a beautiful plot of land and a beautiful part of it's the, pretty uh, down there too. Isn't and, it? and and really, what they're doing, if you follow the news, um, that city is in a massive rebuild. Yeah. I mean, everyone who left that faith is coming back, and everyone who was in that faith is leaving. They're putting up businesses. They're putting up. Uh, you know, uh, hotels, they're putting up restaurants and they're really trying to, it's actually strange because a city that shunned uh, visitors mm-hmm. and literally did not want them to come right. and would follow them around. If You know, I, I pulled well, into that city right. with a Volvo <laughs> and, with an Obama sticker on the back and instantly I'd have a <laughs> cop a behind tail, me. Yeah. Right. It was, and and now I mean, a lot of that is in the film too. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of creepy when you first go into, and the, the film we're talking about is Sons of Perdition. Right. And it's kind of creepy, the early parts, when you go down there. And yeah, I was arrested down there by polygamous policemen. Yeah. So, you know, they would shun visitors. And now they're actually opening up and saying, we want people to come to this beautiful area and we want tourists and we want... Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a utter change. What's happened to the FLDS, really? Uh, you know, Warren Jeffs, who was, the, who was leading them at the time you were doing the documentary, he's, of course, in prison. They they've kind of broken up, but they're they're not they haven't disbanded. They've just gone elsewhere. No, they you know they're still down there There's and they're still. still I mean, they're you know people are leaving daily. It's not as strong as it once was, mm. and you know a, a a church is only as strong as the money it brings in. And, and they I were pretty well. They were pretty wealthy at one time. Very wealthy, yes, yeah. yeah. So I don't think they're bringing in as much money as they used to. So. Mm. Nothing shuts down a church like uh, you know. I, re- you know, I, I remember too the uh, uh, Sons of Perdition because uh, the uh, the character of Jeremy Johnson in right. that uh, he was a guy in St. George right. who ha- was an entrepreneur and had a lo- he had a helicopter as I recall. Oh, he had a couple of helicopters. He had a he lot had of a, money. He had a decent amount of money. And yes. he would take the he had a big mansion in St. Uh-huh. George and he would take these kids in, uh-huh. uh, not just the three uh, those three boys you were following, but other right. right. Kids. There's a there's a scene where a little girl 14 years old escapes in the back of my car no less mm-hmm. um because she's going to be married in a couple of days and he takes her in mm-hmm. uh, and he was he, he was a uh he seemed like a really good guy in that film i and yeah. and uh, and yet now he's in jail yeah and he, <laughs> that's he, kind he, of an he, odd he, side he, note to it isn't it he was a good guy and he did help a lot of those boys and he helped that community immensely and not just in the contribution of money, but he would, you know, really give a lot of his time. You know, the funny thing is, is that uh, he w- he kicked those boys out, and not to be a spoiler alert for the film, anyone who hasn't seen it. It's been he, out for a while. He, yeah, he kicked those boys out, basically for smoking grass. And oh, really? In the meanwhile, he was... Is that in the film? I don't remember. Yeah, it yeah. is. So he kicked him out, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a it t- turn on the film because these boys, like, they go from house to house. They get kicked out of their house, and then they want to get adopted, and then they finally get in this house that's wonderful, and they're being taken care of, and then they mm. get kicked out for smoking weed. Smoking a little pot. And yeah. meanwhile, he's bilking customers uh, illegally, in many ways, out of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Jeremy Johnson. Quite yeah. a, that's another movie you should I, you should make the Jeremy Johnson movie. <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot to do with Utah in that and, and affinity fraud and why people here are so willing to give money and why greed is so important, not yeah. just in Utah, but all over the country. I know greed's important to me. Mm. Uh, I noticed. What, uh, yeah, all the all, <laughs> yes. the all the jewelry I wear. <laughs> that, <laughs> that fine shirt. Uh, so, yeah. You know where the shirt came from? <laughs> Desert Industries. Did it? Yeah. Mm. Most of the shirts I wear, my wife gets for me at Desert Industries. I love it. You know, and, but it was probably owned by a wealthy man. Might have been. So at some point. And I think this shirt that you're wearing right now, Ty, is the same shirt that you've always worn when you come <laughs> You know, it's, it's, my, it's my uniform. Yeah, you you I put mean, on your hard hat and you go to work. I haven't seen you for a while, and, and you walked in and I went, what, you just ha- he hasn't changed a single bit. <laughs> it's amazing. He's just like he sleeps in that clothing. Uh, yeah, I do. That's why it's so wrinkled. Uh, well, if you go to his house and look in his closet, there's 48 of them just yeah, like identical it's, it's in like a row. It's like Charlie Brown, What's, just wearing the same. <laughs> What's the, what was the first short film you made? You know, I made a, I made a crazy film called Modern Miracles. Um, and it was about, yeah, look, every one of my films, and I think it's because of my upbringing, uh, is based on belief. Basically every single one, except for the one I'm making now, which we'll get to later. The first short film was this wacky short film about a kid who leaves a small town and believes that he has the, he goes to a big city and believes he has the power to open automatic doors. Through the gift of, you know, the gift of God. So they're automatic doors, but he believes that when he walks up to them, they open because he has power. Right. So that's pretty fascinating. It was this funny little wacky short film, and it played in some festivals, and it did pretty well. And then I made a second short film called uh, Fall of Man about a guy who meets Satan in the desert, and Satan leads him along and has a surprise for him, tries Mm -hmm. to encourage, recruit him to do his advertising. And that was a big fun short I did down in the desert. And that played at dozens of festivals. And then I did another one called Fall of Man about a, or I'm sorry, uh, The Furniture, about a guy who believes his furniture is going to kill him. Uh, I like that And that was a very fun, very short. Are these available? I think, I think so. I think maybe a couple are on my website, tylermesom.com. Um, M-E-A-S-O-M. Correct. Um, and they're fun, and they did very well, and I had a good crew, and, you know, they, they got me commercial work, and, um, you know, they're all narrative-based, so I kind of, again, I was going in that direction before this documentary came. You, uh, uh, and you, it, it's, it's, you must be pleased that you've been able to, when you decide, uh, okay, I'm going to make movies, that's what I want to do, and you start making them, that you've been able to do that and make oh. money and make a living doing it. Yeah, hence the fine one shirt yeah. I have. But I, you know <laughs> what I mean. You, I don't have you. Have you had to work other jobs while you're doing it? Uh, no, I didn't I, think so. I, you know, I, I, I started uh, when I was about uh, seventeen in high school. I started as a, a PA on a on a film set, and I just kept doing that. Now, you know, I worked at a convenience store and I worked at a printing press, and but by and large, when I decided to quit and only pursue film, that's what I did, and I've only done that. Was that ever? Was that? Do you remember that being a conscious decision? of like do I dare do this do I, or did you, it was just it just seemed obvious that's what you uh, you would know do. I was I was I was working when I was young in my early 20s as a grip you know or a PA or you know someone who on works on film sets setting up light yeah, stands movie, yeah. and you know helping with camera and mm-hmm. I do sound and I do audio and so that was you know I was making 350 400 a day and when you're early 20s and you're making 400 bucks a day you can work 10 days a month mm-hmm. and make more than your friends do so I remember that day when I just said I'm quitting the job I had a job as a bar and I mm-hmm. just quit yeah and it was really nice but then you know I didn't want to be a grip the rest of my life sure. so 
You know, I'm 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 doing what I wanted to do when I was 10 years old. There's not many people can say they're doing that. And I trust me, I I am fortunate and I I'm grateful and I still have this element of I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing and I still don't feel like I'm really a filmmaker. But every once in a while it occurs to me. Um what do you what does that mean? You don't feel like you're a filmmaker. I know it it just feels like even though I'm a working filmmaker, and there's a handful of working filmmakers, especially in the state of Utah, that actually mm-hmm. make films, and I'm fortunate, very fortunate, uh, although I very, work very hard for it, to do projects, only projects I want. I don't, I don't do projects I don't want to do. I don't do reality TV. I don't do commercials I don't want to do. I don't do MLM videos. I just, I do documentaries that I love that grow me as a person and as a filmmaker. So. It's hard for me to really put myself in that shoe, you know, to look at myself and go, God, you're actually a movie maker. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I just heard, uh, listened to a long interview with uh, Richard Donner, the director. Oh, uh, great. And uh, he was he is a guy who did anything. He directed anything. Yeah. That was given to him. He, you know, I mean, he directed episodes of The Twilight Zone, right. and he d- right. directed just one-off comedies. And yeah. anytime somebody say, "Oh, uh, let's see, Richard, Don- how about Richard Donner? Could he direct that?" Yeah, he could direct. <laughs> yeah. And they would just, you know, and yet he ended up also doing some pretty incredible movies. Of course, as well. he did Superman for goodness' yeah. sakes. Yeah, which you know, when I started thinking back on it, the original Superman. And I'd, I'd kind of diminished it or dismissed it in my mind some years ago. And then I was listening to the interview with him, and I thought, no, wait a minute. that's That was not a bad movie at all. You know, if you revisit it, and I know you watched it when you were young, probably mm-hmm. more than once, yeah. but you revisit it, and it still holds up. It's really a great story. It's very sincere. Uh-huh. It's, yeah. a, it's really great. Sincere movie. Uh-huh. It doesn't... It doesn't you know, try to a parody or piss on yep. it or make a, li- a joke o- of it. It's just very straightforward and sincere. And it, more than probably any of the other, many other superhero movies, it is a character story. It is Superman. And I remember there's a great scene, and, you know, this is something to take for heart, where Superman grows up. You know, he grows up with these wonderful parents, the Kents. Yeah. Right? Ma and Pa. Right. And, of course, he, you know, he flies through thousands of miles of space, and he happens to crash land in a beautiful uh, place in Kansas, and mm-hmm. he's found by these wonderful couple i sure. mean he could have been found by glenn, any white trash glenn ford and who's oh, the know. kent but it's kent it's yeah the but Kents. the actor was glenn, oh, glenn God, ford and the, and the and the mother i can't remember who anyway but he grows up and remember that scene when he's 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 running home and he's running home from high school and he's running faster than the truck yeah and the kids are like what the hell is that there's a cornfield yeah yeah. and his dad says son you can't show off like that you don't need to show off and superman says or clark kent says is it showing off when a bird flies and and his father just says look you have to use these powers for the for good Mm -hmm. don't use them to show off and and you know and and then of course his father dies and he uses them for good but that's a very important kind of lesson for a lot of people in some aspects mm-hmm. to, to take something from the movies. and so you, You've learned stuff from the movies. Phyllis, that, that. Phyllis Baxter? Well, here it says T-H-A-X-T-E-R. Oh, Thaxter. Thaxter? Uh, I think it is Thaxter. And Glenn, and Glenn Ford was right. the was the dad. Glenn yeah. Ford, famous yep. old Hollywood actor. So, so you've, you've learned or you've changed. You've changed because of 
your career. Oh well, yeah, I, I would hope so. I think we've all changed a little bit for yeah, our and, career, and whether it's to so adapt to it or not. So you you were you grew up in a in a in a good Mormon sure. family, very solid Mormon family. Although you said all it, were most of the people in your family were um, artistic. Not necessarily. No, mm-hmm. I mean a big big ass Mormon family. You know, I've got seven kids. There's seven kids in the family, so mm-hmm. um, very most of them are very smart and very ambitious. Uh, um, but and I was the only one who really gravitated towards art. Oh, okay. And it was kind of, you know, the rest of them were academic um, mm-hmm. and athletes. And I, I mean, you had said art was important in your family. I thought you I meant I mean, it, it wasn't discouraged as much yeah. as it, it could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think my, my parents, you know, my, you know, like any parents of that generation, they just didn't want their kids being a filmmaker because how the hell are you going to make money? But I t- still call my dad and say, like, are you making money, making movies yet? <laughs> no, you know, maybe dad doesn't. <laughs> But uh, you still got a job to fall back on, don't you? <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I was very lucky to kind or of be make, not discouraged. Maybe they ways. didn't want you to make movies, though, sort of because they didn't want you to have happen to you what happened to you. You mean like leave the faith? Yeah, I don't think that had much to do with making the movies. movies. Didn't have anything um, to do with it. Rather than just like learning how to read things that weren't told, <laughs> I wasn't told <laughs> to read all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess I always had a little more of a um, a bent to do what I shouldn't or wasn't supposed to do. You know, and that comes down to what I do now. I don't do what films that people want me to do. I do whatever the hell I want film. And I work out of my house. I don't have a boss. I haven't had a boss, you know, ever really. Mm-hmm. And I think it just comes down to, I, I just want to do what I want to do. And that includes career or church or, you know. Your, uh, your parents, uh, your, uh, your siblings, do they stay in the, in the church? A lot of them, yeah. Most of them. Most yeah, of them did. And your parents are still Yeah, they are. Still, still devout. They're and still there. And are they, they in, they're in, uh, PG? Nope. They they moved down to near Fairview. They built a nice little house out in the country. Down by Spencer Cox. I guess yeah, so. the, That's uh, right. the lieutenant governor. <laughs> That's, That's right. his hometown. Uh, and, and so so there you you're kind of the black sheep of the family, but they love you anyway. Uh, you know, yeah. They t- I mean, I you mean, know, they have seven kids, so that love is pretty divided. <laughs> it's, 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 well, we've got some we love better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, they've seen your movies, I assume. Oh, they love it. They love the fact that their child makes movies. They're very happy with that notion. I mean, mm-hmm. they actually. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of people who do make movies. I, I may come off as cocky. I make good movies. I, mm-hmm. I don't turn in C-minus papers and movies, and that's maybe why I only make one every four years. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind, it, it is kind of a slow output. Well, then that's a number of reasons. One is um, uh, I choose projects I love. Um, a lot of times they take a long time because they're documentaries, and it just takes a while to get to that. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to finish a story but I, I don't I, I don't hurry up a, a, a film you get I, offered I stuff sure. and you say no I don't think I want to do that or pitch yeah. stuff and you go yeah yeah, yeah all the time yeah. constantly yeah what have you what is it that you've that you've uh, is there anything you've been pitched that you in retrospect wish you'd done well I kind of I, I, you know after I did sons of perdition I got asked to do a big film about the FLDS and um it was more about Warren Jeffs and the community and not so much. And I just had had enough. Like I just, I'd lived that world for five years, man. And, mm-hmm. and even after the film, like I was, I was a part of that community and helping kids out. I kind of ran an underground railroad of escapees and I mm-hmm. helped, I worked with the Texas attorney generals to find a witness to testify against Warren Jeffs. And I just lived it for so long that I was just like, I can't do it anymore. 
and that film was uh, Prophet's Prey. Oh, and that what, and that uh, was a big lot of money. What and uh, a woman. Uh, yes, Amy Berg did that, and film. it's it's quite good. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. quite good. Yeah. Uh, so I guess you're not really sorry you didn't do it, but it, it, you could have. I mean, that was a Showtime paid a ton of money. Yeah. And in the millions for that film. Well, I was going to mention with Sons of Perdition, by the way, uh, I was watching a couple of scenes from it recently. You do your homework. Uh, the music is re- really good, and I can't remember. Thanks. Where did that come from? We had a composer, and he's an artist, uh, a musician, and <laughs> I forgot his name. But he's a, he's a remarkable musician. He's Irish, and he made some really great, yeah, it's very folksy music. Excellent. Damn it. It'll come It'd be to a you. good plug for him. It'll come. It'll come. Uh, Dylan's looking It'll it come up to right Dylan. now. Of course. It'll come to Dylan. I need. Oh, we yeah. don't have to remember anything anymore, no. do we? That's, you know, and that is a problem. I'm kind the of. same way. I, I used to like, be able to rattle off. Like you'd say Richard Donner and be like, he did this film. He did this film. Mm-hmm. He did this film. And now I'm just like, I am DB. I'll look it up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so let's talk about uh, True True Believer. How did true that. True Believer? Oh, the. The HBO film about yeah. Imagine Dragons. Right? Oh no, I'm sorry, not True Believer. Uh, honest Liar. An honest Liar. Yeah, yeah. Not I don't. Believer is the film, uh, the Honest uh, Imagine Dragons film that comes right. out in June. I right. I did a little bit of field producing on that. Oh, you so you are involved in that? Nothing to yeah, nothing mm-hmm. to really Mark, shout about. Uh, Mark Geary. Mark Geary. He's, He's amazing. And Carl Oldlam. Are yeah, both Mark credited. Geary has some amazing music. Really great Irish. That's uh, for Sons of Perdition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Honest Liar. Uh, honest Liar. I don't know why True Believer came to my mind, but right. Honest Liar. So how did that project uh, about the amazing Randy come to well, you? Well, you know, when you make a film, as I said, you give, you live above the store. Sons of British and I lived above the store. And after it was done, it played, premiered at Tribeca, and it played at festivals all over the world. And I'll tell you, when you finish a movie and it's somewhat successful, it's so great because film festivals fly you into their city. And, they, you know, it can be Poland. It can be Brazil. It can be, That'd be Columbus, fun. Ohio. That would be fun. And it's, it's not just fun because you show your movies, but, you know, filmmakers come from all over the country. Yeah. And usually the film festival circuit starts in the spring, you know, with Sundance and South By and Tribeca. And then, you know, it's like a traveling circus, of course. And then you go to another festival and you see the same filmmakers and you meet amazing people and they all stay in the same hotel and we all party and we all sit and talk about films. And it's really this great kind of experience. It's the closest we can get to being like rock stars mm-hmm. going on the road. <laughs> and you get to travel all over the world. And uh, that's one of the real joys. And plus, you get to show your movie in front of audiences, and there's and other show it to other filmmakers, right? It's it's an amazing experience to be able to do that. And um, you know, so after that, you kind of make this movie, and you work so hard, and you get it off. And it's a part of you. That film is not just like a movie I made. It is me. It's a part of me. Jenny and I both left the church, so it's our story writ large. And to have that out, and then Oprah bought it, and it played on theaters and it played you know on tv mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it was on netflix or whatever and then all of a sudden just it was that was it it was like <laughs> you know you make this movie and everybody claps and cheers and then it goes on tv and nobody gives a shit anymore mm-hmm. and then everyone's like all right now what are you making well, i guess i better make another movie i want that <laughs> feeling again you know, and you go through this yeah i want to go back to poland that was yeah. really fun and you you kind of go through this postpartum depression of like wait everyone loved me and Mm -hmm. everyone cheered when I showed a movie and now I don't have that anymore and you need to start that back up and you you want to choose when you choose a film you have to choose a film that you know a people will care about b that you can raise money for c that you have access and d something that you can sell and will have a full story of d and not necessarily in that order and I didn't know what to do. Um, and then a friend of mine, and it was months. It was literally months. And it was almost like a serious depression. And I'm not kidding. Like you, I, you, 
the the only thing more difficult than making a film is not making a film well, and, and not knowing what you're going to do. Sometimes the, the they filmmakers never get over it. They never yeah. make or they'll make an, one more and it's not very good. Right. And then they they're done. It's first album, you know, you make a first yeah. album, everybody loves it, and then your second album sucks. And I I didn't want to make a shitty second album, um, and I wanted to make one that was really good. So I really thought, and what do I do? And then one day, you know, someone just said, you know, there's a great guy named Amazing Randy, and you should check him out. Read about thirty minutes, and I was like, I can't believe no one's made a film about him. I reached out to him, um, and after he properly vetted me, he said. Yeah, let's make a movie. And properly by properly vetting, I'm assuming because knowing knowing what he's like from seeing your movie, mm. uh, the vetting was not just any light thing. He, well, he's he, you know just to, to cue the audience in on who the amazing Randy is. James the Amazing Randy is a world famous magician and escape artist, perhaps one of the greatest since Houdini. And like Houdini, he followed in the same path in that he. Uh, he went after faith healers and spoon benders and psychics and people who use the tricks of magic, not for entertainment, but for deception. Right. He says so, that magic is magic. Right. It is just a trick. Right. Just a trick. That's all it is. To entertain. Mm-hmm. It's, right. Yeah. And, and, and they're being honest. Like I'm, they're saying, I'm going to fool you. This is a trick. This card is going to disappear. And it's a trick. It's mm-hmm. only a trick. There's no powers of heaven or mm-hmm. you know, magic beings or demons or crystals or whatever. But there are people who misuse that same and say that they are you know, imbued with the special spirit and they take mm-hmm. advantage of other people. And they're being liars. Mm-hmm. He is an honest liar. Hence the title of the, the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's a very hated man because he's ruined a lot of people's lives. He spent his life debunking these individuals. And and so for someone to come in and say, I want to make a movie about you, it could easily be turned. He watched an honest lie. I'm sorry. He watched uh, Sons of Perdition and said, it's a great film and come aboard. Mm-hmm. Now, when you choose a film to do, you know you're going to be on it for a long time. Like, you better fucking love it because you're going to be there for years. Yeah, I mean, what if it turned out you didn't care for him very much? Right, or, or he's a jerk, or... Or, or really boring. Or really boring. <laughs> and, it, you know, at some point, at some point, it's hard, man. Like, you're a year and a half into a movie, and it sucks, and you're running out of money, and you don't know where the story is, and, you know... From the words of Barry Sonnenfeld, who, you know, he told me this personally, he said, at one point, every movie sucks. I don't care how great it is. Every movie sucks. Mm-hmm. And at one point, every movie does suck. Mm-hmm. And you go, how am I going to make this better? And so it helps to have a story that you love, that I'm interested mm-hmm. in, that hang out with people that mm-hmm. are wonderful and amazing. And and, and he's Randy. And he's James Randy. But outside of that, there were other interesting people like Penn and Teller and Adam Savage. and That's know, how we, I mean, that's how we kind of knew of James Randi was from watching or how I did was from watching bullshit and Penn and Teller and and they talked about his foundation doing like a million dollars if you can Mm -hmm. prove scientifically that you can read minds or whatever never nobody ever he was uh, I used to see him on Johnny Carson because Carson Carson loved him Carson loved him he'd fought with Yuri Geller right yep yeah Yeah. yes he did we have a uh, my sister is married to a guy who's a magician who's who's a friend of Yuri Geller's. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, uh, who Yuri Geller, by the way, you know James Randi. Now Yuri Geller, Israeli, right. s- supposed psychic and, right. and spoonbender. Right. Uh, and he uh, he and James Randi had a long running feud. Yes. Yuri Geller's no dummy. 
No, he's, he's a very good at sharp what guy. he does. And he, apparently he's he's just fine. He's He, he still makes money and does yeah. what he does. You know, he's not in the public eye as much as he is anymore. No. I think with modern technology today, you can't go on TV and do a talk show and bend a spoon. Mm-hmm. Right. Nowadays, it's on YouTube and people mm-hmm. will slow it down. Well, and go, I see Randy was talking that. about that on uh, Penn Sunday School a few weeks ago or months ago now huh. about what Yuri Geller is. He said, I don't know where he is. I think yeah. he's in Europe somewhere he in a is, cottage yeah. out yeah. of... He, but he does okay. James, our uh, my sister's husband, is uh, is still in touch with him and knows him. And and my uh, sister's husband bends can bend spoons. But he'll show you how he does. Sure, it. I can show he'll, you. How he'll it's teach done. people how to yeah. bend spoons if they want to. Yeah. But it's still, it's it's funny because we're such Penn and Teller fans, the All Red Boys. Yeah. That uh, when when we'll say oh, so, and Penn and Teller did this trick, and sometimes you'll see James because <laughs> he's on the Yuri Geller team, and yeah. he knows that uh, Randy <laughs> and Penn and Teller who kind of. Yeah, you I know. Let's, let's go back to Honest Liar. Right. So you're yeah. you're on the film. You're and uh, e, 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 from what I'm getting from you is that you don't really know. You're filming a lot of stuff, but you right. don't really have a narrative thrust for it. You don't kind of. You're just filming stuff, and you like him. Yeah, and he, you know, and that's the one thing that I just really just just loved about that movie, Honest Liar. Yeah, is that James Randy is such a sweet right genuine my god you just go <laughs> right he's like, how can you be such a nice man yeah and funny and charming yeah. and witty he's and everything lovable little teddy bear yeah and he's you want to 90 up. or something yeah and, but if you watch that film and you see him in the 70s and 80s like he was angry he oh. was he went through a real period and you remember the 70s and 80s it was a very mystical new age everyone was into pyramids and crystals and mm-hmm. psychics and faith healers were out there and he just like it almost he he almost we 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 played that kind of as a superhero in a sense like every superhero yeah. every superhero has a a, a villain and mm-hmm. going back to super Clark Kent he had this gift and he used it for good now Yuri Geller had the same gift he's a great magician but he used it for quote unquote evil mm-hmm. and every good uh, superhero has his villain and every villain has those same you know those same powers if you will and yeah. so Randy, who defeated a lot of foils, you know, Peter Popoff, James Heydrich, you know, he, he, he took down a lot of individuals, but Yuri Geller, he never really fully defeated. Yeah. So we kind of played that narrative of him being, you know, this longstanding mm-hmm. feud between Lex Luthor and Superman of mm-hmm. sorts. Uh, and then, and then, but then you got the gift of a big surprise that mm. you, you didn't expect, that nobody expected in that movie. Yeah, I and don't know I, if I, I guess spoiler alerted or not. Yeah, I don't know. It, this this film is on is on Netflix you for can, about another you, month. It, you, we have a three year contract with Netflix, and I think it's off. The let's end of not June do the sp- let's not do the spoiler. Suffice to say that uh, the film is about deception and honesty. And in the middle of filming this movie, a major deception was uncovered to the tune of the FBI coming in. Mm-hmm. That uh, that spun the narrative in a very heartbreaking and sad uh, but also in kind of an exciting direction and we as filmmakers look I mean that's the best thing we could, it could happen but also we're human beings you know right. we, we we have to care for these individuals you want Randy's life to go well and it looks right. like it's falling apart right and in the narrative and for those who haven't seen it or those who have it could have been very different it could have ended mm-hmm. in quite a sad way mm-hmm 
Um, uh, yeah, and we won't. Uh, but I think in the an long honest run, honest liar on Netflix. For and one in, more month, go. In the long run, Randy is is fine. He's great. He's a happy old man, and he's wonderful, and he's still out there kicking ass. And and as as smart as a, a whip still, and he's totally. really old. He's it, he'll be ninety uh, in a couple months. The the archival footage of him yeah. uh, is terrific. Yeah, as well. And there's so you must have watched so much of that that you didn't use hundreds hundreds of hours. Uh, uh, Randy taped everything. So uh, he, he, when he was on TV, he would tape it, and he had boxes of old VHS tapes. Great. Lucky. Yeah, I know, right? And it was amazing to go through it. But he also taped things like, you know, That's Incredible, because he had to <laughs> research. So here I am, sitting and watching That's Incredible, feeling like I'm 15 years old yeah. again. <laughs> you know? well, I remember that. It was great. So uh, did he... Um uh, he still he still does debunk stuff when I mean he's you know he's ninety so he doesn't you know he can't he can't do what he used to do as much um, so he doesn't really get around as much it travels hard on forum and yeah, there's must be tons and tons of stuff that you wanted to put in sure oh uh, yeah I mean an, an honest liar how what's the running time on it it's uh, ninety two ninety two minutes. And my guess is it was hard to get it down to 92 yeah. minutes, and you yeah. cut and cut and cut. And because it's not just his, his 85-year-old life at the time. It's what was happening while he was going on. And this spin that happened, this uh, you know MacGuffin that came in the middle, mm-hmm. uh, really was something that needed to be covered. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to tell that story. Look, the element of, of telling story, and this is you know what I go through with every film, is how long can you keep a secret? How long can you drag the audience along until you absolutely have to tell them something in order for the narrative to go through? Um, so part of that film is a, is keeping a secret, keeping secrets and deception. How long can we deceive the audience? How long mm-hmm. can we keep that suspense? You know, almost like a magician. How long can you keep the yeah. audience going, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work? Oh, my God, the, the, the dove appeared. Yeah, yeah. So part of that was like, how long can we draw this out? How long can we keep... Uh, something until we need to. So uh, my, my point of the archival footage, uh, or the you know the footage that you just didn't use, yeah. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I have drives of it, man. See, you know, because I'm what I'm saying is I could have watched another ninety minutes of it. <laughs> I could have watched a, a, a you know a hundred and eighty minute Randy movie. You know, uh, I have drives of that footage, and you know most of it. Like he recorded it was some television show in Cincinnati in 1985 and you know he recorded it and probably no one else in the world did so it's mm-hmm. the only thing that exists and if if someone were willing I would love to turn over that that material and just have them put it all up on YouTube and just like the Randy 1985 Cincinnati Film Festival here, here, here Tyler Meesom <laughs> here's what you do you repackage an honest liar with all kinds of a- added footage. Sure. Well, you know, the and, DVD and Blu-ray has a really great... Does it have... Oh, it has so much great material. It has material. extra stuff. Oh, it has bonus scenes that were cut. It has bonus scenes. It has director's commentary. It has it has all the interviews. So if you want to watch the entire interview of Penn and Teller, you can watch it. Oh, okay. If you want to watch the entire Adam Oh, I Savage, didn't know. I'm going to buy it then. I'll, buy it. Buy it. it. Oh, you'll give me one? Yeah. Well, that's nice. I have... 
It's going to be such a good Father's Day present. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I have hundreds. I'll go to the liquor <laughs> store. When I say hundreds, I mean thousands. Yeah, the liquor garage. store is fine. That's, I'll go to the liquor fine. store for your father's <laughs> And Day. Honest Liar. Anyway, if you haven't seen it uh, on Netflix, and, and but you can buy it. Uh, or you can go to... I think it will it, it will be on Netflix for the next couple of months, and then Amazon, iTunes, where I don't know where. Hulu, mm-hmm. maybe. Who knows? You know, once a contract expires, then you have to put it somewhere else. Let's talk. Uh, let's get to the, a couple of the other things that you're... Um, working on sure uh, pretty pretty cool to know that you're working on something about Mark Hoffman yeah do you want to talk about the MTV one first or the Hoffman uh, your choice well let's do chronological which is, MTV is the MTV first? film yeah okay so this is called in living in stereo right? working title is living in stereo um, after an honest liar the same thing Premiered at Tribeca, played all over the world, won all kinds of awards, did very well. Did he did even better than Sons of Perdition? Um, I think so, possibly. Jeez, yeah, like, I mean, honestly, uh, Sons of Perdition did very well internationally. For some reason, mm. everyone, I mean, it's still showing in like England on TV. It's crazy. Mm. Um, and that cool. that aired in two. I mean, that was 2010 when that film came out. So, uh, but it did very very well. And yeah. then the same thing. Like, now what the fuck am I gonna do? <laughs> And it's the same postpartum depression of like, I loved, and we'd travel all over the world with Randy showing the film and he'd sit in the audience and people would stand up and cheer for him and he'd do magic tricks and it was so amazing to do that. And then it ends. And so I didn't know what to do next. And a friend of mine, Patrick Waldrop, who's a former Utah who lives in LA now, he came to me and he says, I'm doing a documentary on MTV, the birth of MTV, and I've raised a little bit of money. And he was wholly out of his element to be doing a major documentary uh, about MTV. He'd never really made one before. He was a part of a, he did a, a film called Killer at Large, which here in Utah through Shinebox Media, Brian Young and the like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he's a co-director on that. But this mm-hmm. was a huge, like this MTV, like that's a. Well, it's a, it's a, and it's surprising no one's ever done that project before. They've tried. Uh, have they? They've tried. A lot of people have tried and just couldn't get the access. The and, history and, and, and of again, MTV. Persistence mm-hmm. of just sticking around long enough and trying to convince people. A big part of what I do, honestly, is Look, for any director, a part of what you do as a director is um, uh, convince, sell. You're selling yourself. Mm-hmm. You're selling a film. You're selling your director photography on a vision. You're selling your actors on a vision. And A, you have to know that vision because you have to effectively relay that vision. And you have to effectively, as a documentarian, you have to effectively relay that vision to your characters, your subjects, mm-hmm. your distributors, your investors, whomever it may be. Um I have a passion for it. Like I, I love it, and it that is a that is a contagious. When I want to make a movie and I want you to be in it, or I want you to give money to okay. it, you want to be a part of it. Okay, I'll and narrate your next film. I promise I will. <laughs> I'll be. I promise I'll see. Do it. it is like that. <laughs> um, so we, you know, we were having a hard time trying to convince these founders of this network, this amazing network. And for those who are young, who are listening to this, in the early '80s, MTV, music television, which launched launched in 1981, was everything. I mean, it was it, it nothing I like it. I don't think there's been or ha- there outside of maybe the Beatles. I don't think there's a cultural event that affected culture more than MTV. It was amazing. Right. And in it, retrospect, it was amazing. Yeah. While it, it was happening, it was also amazing because you're just going, wow. Right. And and it was a convergence of all kinds of things that had to happen yeah. at once, like cable TV. Right. And, and music videos. And, and music videos, yeah. But, I mean, it affected film and fashion and how we create and share media and advertisements and music. And, I mean, it yeah. was this crazy thing that 
I had a friend who put it very well, Brian Wimmer, and he's a, an actor, and he he li- lived in Provo when he was young. Excuse me. And he said, you know, he lived in Provo in the early 80s, and he said, you know, we had to wait for people to move from California to find out what to listen to, (laughs) what to wear, what was cool. Mm -hmm. And he said when MTV came on, it instantly brought cool to Provo. And um, maybe they're still waiting for it down there. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking, bro. It was there for a while. Um, But nonetheless, like, it was a cultural event, and how this crazy startup got off the ground and what it did has never been told in a feature documentary film. So I just started hounding and getting after these founders and these you know icons who founded this network who are now media titans. And they finally said, yeah, we'll talk to you. And then one would talk and then another would talk and then another And these talk. are names that we probably don't have any idea who they were. No, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they've really affected culture more than... You know, a lot of inventors or mm-hmm. actors or mm-hmm. business people. I mean, you know, these, but they're t- titans. Uh, Bob Pittman, Tom Freston, you know, John Sykes. These people are, you know, have affected how And they're you all still live. in the business. And totally. Still, oh, yeah. It's, MTV is a fascinating topic, too, from the, from the moment it kicked off with that very first video, which we all know now as Video Killed the Radio what Star. What was the second one, Bill? Don't have any idea. I know. That's the, stum- that's, that's the one that stumps everyone. It'll be in the... You're going to tell me? Or? I will tell you. It's okay. uh, You Better Run by Pat Benatar. Really? Who was in our film. Mm. Yeah, we went and interviewed her as well. Do you interview, uh, do you interview a lot of artists who, oh, uh, yeah. who yeah. had their careers made? Yeah. By um, and MTV made them, and they made MTV. And vice versa, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we talked to, uh, we interviewed Sting, and I mean, I'm rattling off the top of my head, uh, Billy Idol and Pat Benatar and Michael Nesmith and Brett Michael and Run DMC, mm-hmm. and I know I'm leaving out a few of them. It must have been fun. Oh, yeah, it's a blast. And Dee Schneider, we just did Dee Schneider, who was great. Twisted, Twisted Sister. Sister. And yeah. um, we're doing uh, Jerry Cantrell next week of mm-hmm. Alice in Chains. So, you know, we kind of chose one person to represent each individual area, the grunge, the rap, mm-hmm. the early eras. And yeah, they're fun. I mean, rock stars, there's a reason they're rock stars, man. They're pretty and they're funny and they come in with a lot of energy and they're Most great. of them are pretty smart, really, too. Mm-hmm. You you know, you 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 uh, think Dee Schneider, Twisted Sister, which, whose music I hated. Yeah, I know. But... But we're you, not going to take it as a badass but, music video. Yeah, I mean, and, and you listen to Dee Schneider talk, uh, that's no dummy. He was incredibly well-versed mm-hmm. and smart, and he's never done drugs or alcohol yeah. in his life, which is, you know, not really rock and roll. No. <laughs> uh, you know, and we talked to him a lot about how he testified in front of Congress. For right, with PMRC. Frank Zappa. Right, mm-hmm. right. So he's a very smart guy, yeah. um, very interesting. And a lot of them are just wonderful and happy and nice, and you chat with them, and then... They go away. It's uh, so you're you're putting the finishing touches on this now. We are or? in post, and it'll be out in January. Um, it, it, so uh, you must have you have found the the narrative thrust. We and, have, yeah, and, and it's you know, we, we, in, in addition to covering just like the launch of MTV, uh, we cover race relation. Like MTV yeah. didn't play back artists for a long time until Michael Jackson came along, and they really changed race politics. I mean, they covered politics in '92. They essentially Rock elected the vote. they elected Bill Clinton mm-hmm. and made a generation of Democrats. I mean, they're the reason in many ways that Barack Obama was elected years later because of, and one could say they're the reason for Mr. Donald Trump and that MTV started reality TV mm-hmm. um, with the real world. Yeah. So the, right. the effects of MTV in the 80s and early 90s is which when we basically end the film Still has ramifications it's, today. It's uh, it reinvented itself and reinvented itself and reinvented itself mm-hmm. too to a certain point. 
and, and now it's not it doesn't seem relevant anymore to me and uh, no. do do you do you sort of address that or yeah what? we do and look if one thing MTV has done is they have listened to their audience they they their core audience is 14 to 18 and that's who watches MTV right now really possibly i mean look 14 to 18 year olds don't watch tv period they watch youtube youtube yeah, yeah. i have an 18 year old and that's what he watches youtube yeah. you know. so that's called that's called at this point living in stereo however it'll likely change well i know it'll change um and a and e uh came in they bought it um, and they are going to nice. air it. Yeah, I know. It's great. Really, really great. So they're putting uh, A&E and Time Life uh, are promoting it come January. I, you know, hopefully we'll play here in the state oh, in I'm, January. Yeah, That's all I'm going to say. It'll be at Sundays. Um, well, yeah, it's got a lot of pretty pretty people in it. Mm. Um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, this is, so this is the first time that this has really happened to you, I would think, that, that like... Uh, Somebody like A and E comes in and just says, "Well, I don't even. We don't even care if you're finished with it. Yeah, we yeah. Kn- we know what you have done, and look that that is good. That's a good body of work. We trust you. Do it. It's very nice to have that. Yeah, um, that's great. And, and you know, uh, with Sons of Perdition and Liar, thanks, man. With those two films, it was like scrape it. Yeah." get money however you can kickstarter like whatever you can do to make this money and make this movie and then at the end of it people say we love it we'll buy it but now it's kind of a point where people say oh you look the hardest part of when when i made sons of perdition i wasn't selling the movie as much as i was selling us as filmmakers mm-hmm. like making a film is bloody hard man and to make a good film means you have to for lack of a better term, sprint at the end of a marathon and not jog, Mm -hmm. not walk. You have to really put in the extra work at the end to make your films above the others. And, you know, convincing someone that you're going to do that is a lot harder when you haven't done it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Look, nobody believes you're going to make your movie until you make one. Yeah. And then they say, oh, he's made one, he can do it. So So now Tyler Meesom turns back to kind of in a way, it's a movie uh, sort of about your roots again because sure. you, because you have the uh, Mormon background. Yeah, and it's is it again probably a working title, but or is it going to be called Salamander? The Salamander. The at Salamander. this point, and look, every title is a working title <laughs> until it's on a, a Blu-ray box. You can convince me to change it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, uh, this is such a great story, and Mr. Doug Fabrizio, uh, who we all know here. Uh, he mm-hmm. came to me one day and he said, Tyler, this is an amazing story. You should do the Mark Hoffman documentary. And he gave me a book called um, The Poet and the Murderer. And I read it and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe no one has made this film. And then I looked and I was like, everyone's tried to make this movie. And there's a number of books about Mark Hoffman. Now, for those who don't know, Mark Hoffman in the mid-80s here in Salt Lake City was the greatest document forger of all time. Oh, well, they didn't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't know okay. he was a forger. I mean, he was de- dealing in... Uh, documents he was selling Joseph Smith manuscripts oh, yeah. to the LDS Church, and you were and, here, right? Oh yeah, you were around oh yeah. For he it. was he was uh, now nobody knew who he was except in in those circles of uh, collectors, right. you know, the Ken Sanders of the world, and uh, right. and he he'd come up with these amazing things that he'd find, amazing things. So he would he he had documents from. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, That's Emily right. Dickinson, That's right. uh, Button Gwinnett, the rarest signer of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, hundreds, literally hundreds of documents. But he was also finding documents that were related to the Mormon faith, and many of them damning to the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he discovered the Salamander letter, which claimed that Joseph Smith didn't find 
the golden plates because of an angel, but because of a white salamander that punched him in the face when he tried to grab it. Right. And so, it, you know, these, these documents were discovered and the paper was good, the ink was good, the timing was good, the handwriting was good, you know, everything was right. And so the church would accept it and say, okay, well, maybe it was a salamander and it would just throw everything into a, a you know, a loop. Mm-hmm. He, he discovered like documents like the Joseph Smith third blessing that said that Joseph Smith's son should have been the prophet and not Brigham Young and it would just throw the church and everyone into this major mm-hmm. loop and so he he, he he found and discovered all these documents and then at some point um, I shouldn't spoil everything but it's not that everyone in well, Utah knows history, this bloody story you know. right. uh, uh, and bloody it was because he, he set two pipe bombs that killed two innocent people because he was being discovered yeah I mean there's all kinds of theories as to exactly why but mostly it was because of that mostly to buy some time uh, he uh, it, it, he so he was a brilliant forger he was a, the best and he was an artist and he was amazing at what he did and how he did it and he had a wife and five kids or something mm-hmm. like Three, that four kids lived in lived even though he was making a lot of money at one point lived modestly sure uh, and then um, he just got a little you know I think greed or, you know, to be able to, you can't con that many people that long. Yeah. And he conned a lot of people for a lot of times. I mean, the FBI said is the documents were correct. Sotheby's, all of these document dealers, his historians, the, the church itself and the many historians, every single document he came up with, apart from a few, they said, yeah, these are genuine. Sam Weller. Sam Weller bought a lot of his documents, yes. Yeah. Ken, and Ken Sanders. Now, Ken... Who's a good friend of ours? Uh, just a great you know, guy. Rare books and coins. I think been on the was, podcast several times. Was yeah. was Ken? Ken seems to me he was always a little. He was. Suspicious. He, he never liked Mark Hoffman. Yeah. He said, and yeah. he never bought any documents. Now, Mark's fingers uh, really had a lot of pain both literally and figuratively, right. and still, there's still pain in Salt Lake from what he did. Yeah. There was a great, and I, you, I don't really need to tell you, but there was this great shop here in Salt Lake in the 80s and 70s called Cosmic Aeroplane, oh, yeah. and that was a head shop, and that's where the cool people went to buy albums and mm-hmm. cool t-shirts here in Salt Lake when there was nowhere else to buy it. Now, the owner of that, Steve Barnett, bought a lot of documents from Mark Hoffman, and when it was found out that they were forged, he had to pay those people back effectively shutting down mm-hmm. cosmic airplane yeah. i mean so mark didn't just affect the mormon faith he shut down the cool hangout in salt lake so now we i don't want to spoil anything about that uh, mark hoffman uh is still alive he's in he's in, in prison. prison he is in gunnison he uh, was moved to gunnison not too long ago i assume you asked him? Yeah, if well, you he, could talk to him. He's never spoken to the press in 30 years right. since he's, um, and I don't know if he will. Uh, I write him letters. Almost every month I write him a letter. And Does he I, answer I, at no, all? No, he doesn't. Nothing. But I get a letter from George Washington out of the blue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this. Jeff, uh, Joseph Smith sends mm-hmm. me letters. No, um, no, he's never sent me a letter back, but mm-hmm. I send him letters. Again, Wouldn't that persistence. be just perfect? You know, Right. You don't need O.J. Simpson to tell the O.J. Simpson story in prison, and I don't. I don't need him. In fact, in some ways, I, I don't need him to tell his story. I have enough. You like the mystery of it too, in a way. Yeah. Look, I will tell you this: like you were here for it, but man, during that, I mean, he bombed these people in 1985. That was there was a mad was, bomber loose, right? People, innocent, uh, 
the, there, there was a woman killed with just innocently. Kathy Sheets. Yeah, yeah, she was just innocent. bystander. Yeah. her husband Gary. Her husband was relatively or killed. you know closely related to. Yeah. And and I won't say what happened to Mark. Because that, I think you should preserve that for the film. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, part of the... Well, it's not a film. I'll tell you that. It's a series now. We're doing a six-part series. Oh. Thus is the nature of the nonfiction world, man. Everyone wants a wild, wild country, a making a murderer, a right. jinx. I a, haven't seen the wild, evil. wild country oh, it's yet. Pretty bad the, is, is it's pretty badass. It it's good. I keep meaning to look at it's it. It's some yeah. of the best archival yeah. footage I've ever seen. Yeah. So part of that is like in the, that was not, happened in 1985. I mean, Salt Lake was just, it was a lot smaller at the time. Mm-hmm. But um, it was every, I mean, it was the, every piece of news. And I have hours and hours of news footage. It was everything here in Utah. That was, everyone was talking about it. But it also made national news and international news. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to know what happened to him if it was an accident or if it was intentional, um, you know, without saying what happened to him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You ask him and he'll say it was one thing. You ask others and they say the bomb that was meant for them, that it was it, no one really knows. Everyone has their theory. And that's part of the series. It's a mystery. Too. Yeah. So um, I, uh, you know, I, this film is. This story is remarkable. You got to talk to um, uh, the LDS Church. Will they talk to yeah, you? Yeah, Mr. Richard Turley, who is the head of PR at the church, He'll has agreed to, to be in the film. He mm-hmm. wrote a book called Victims about the, uh, about the story. It. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a number of books about it. Well, I mean, the, you, and I'm sure in that book he would argue that the LDS Church is as big a victim as any. I mean, uh, yeah, he big was a victim of hey, look, Mark it, You know, it, uh, there's no shame in giving up a home run to Ted Williams. <laughs> uh, Mark Hoffman was the, the Ted, greatest Ted document dealer of all time. Yeah. He was great, and people got fooled. Collectors, Sotheby's, the FBI, the church, you know, Cosmic Airplane, everyone got fooled by this guy. So everyone was a victim, some more than others, because they lost their lives. Does Ken uh, Sanders, does he know, does he talk about maybe how... He was so good at. Does anybody know how he got so you good? Bet. Yeah, he I kn- mean, part of. I don't want to give too much away, yeah. but yeah, I mean, some of the tricks he would do. That's interesting. Just huh? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, he's an artist. Mm-hmm. He was a genius and an artist and a madman at the same time. Where and he, you know, at the same time, he was going to church on Sundays and yep. he had a family <laughs> yep. and he right. was and his wife. She she had no idea. No idea. No, according to her, no idea. And mm-hmm. I've talked to her. And yeah, and I talked to her. You believe her? She, yeah. she yeah. didn't have any. Yeah, idea. and she's great. You know, so the the story is um, remarkable. Um, I'm very very lucky. Although I've worked for a year and a half of research and access for no money to try and get this off the ground, um, and just persistence where people would normally give up and say, "Oh, no one's going to talk to me, and I shouldn't be doing this story." I kept going. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it also helps that I'm here in Utah and like, I'm not some guy coming in from New York saying, I want to tell this story about you crazy Mormons. I'm a Utah guy telling a Utah story. And so we, um, we kind of make, put together this Utah all-star team of sorts to make this film. Uh, Geraldine Dreyfus, who has been on your show. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. great. She's just upstairs. Yeah. And yep. she's amazing. I mean, she's an Academy Award winning Producer, producer, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the—I mean, one of the hardest working and most connected people in the industry. She's here in Utah. Absolutely we're, we're gracious person to have her. Too. Yep. So she's on the film, and then uh, Jared Hess, who uh, did Napoleon Dynamite mm-hmm. and Masterminds, and Don Verdeen, and 
he is the producer on the film uh, and has been amazing. He loves the story and he's been using his Hollywood connections to get it out. Uh, Dwayne Anderson, great producer, who's made a number of films. So we've really put together this kind of Utah all-star team to tell this Utah story. Um, the state of Utah uh, and Virginia Pierce, the film commissioner, has graciously given us a very nice film incentive to well, keep as much production in the state of Utah as possible. Are you the sole director of this one? Yeah, yeah. So, it's. I mean, it's going to be a great story, and I can't really say where it's going to go or <clears throat> when it's going to be out. Right now, I can't really reveal those things. But, but you uh, know, I mean, kind of. Uh, okay, uh, uh, you know, you don't can have I keep some secrets. Yes, here, you don't even. You don't even have to tell me <laughs> off, off mic. You don't even have to tell me. I just. Uh, it's just that you know is good enough for me. Uh, you know, it's a very remarkable story, and right now. Everyone wants true crime. Mm-hmm. It's called the Salamander. At this, at point, this point, the Salamander. Now, are you? Uh, are you? So you have two balls in the air he- here with uh, the MTV Which is documentary. Not where they are. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Mine hang low. <laughs> uh, so do you? Is it too much to say there's a third one in the air? I, you know, I. There's always the dream ideas I want to. A do. dream project. What is a dream? I mean, project? the dream project. I. I. I mean, ideally, if I could do a, a documentary called A Week with Bill and just Bill, not you, <laughs> not you. I mean, that would sell, Bill. Oh, you you want to believe, you bet that would sell. Bill Murray, if I could do yeah, a documentary really? about Bill Murray uh, or Steve Martin. Like those two We've documentaries, if mm-hmm. I could do those, man, like I, that would just make me very happy. So maybe. Bill, uh, that would be a, an interesting project. I mean, kind of like you did with Randy, just a totally. sort of a one-on-one. But, totally. Full but of archival and... Just hang with some, somebody that you really like, like mm-hmm. that. And, and everybody likes. Everyone likes yeah. Bill Murray. And there's a lot of archival stuff of yeah. me, too. <laughs> yeah, we can make You a, know, and everybody likes me. With you and... We need more than arrest records. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, so, uh, congratulations. I mean, this is... Uh, it's great to know. Thanks. I mean, I knew that you were... You, you know you've done well you with but i this is you are just about as solid as you could be in your and congratulations you're really lucky thanks i'm you know and i love there's a great doc community here in utah and like you know utah is very very supportive of the arts i mean they're really supportive both mm-hmm. the state and the city and the community and you get these you get this the doc community in salt lake and in utah rivals the rest of the world and i'm not joking like really there are these docs that play all over the world and in festivals and in theaters and it's we have this community of filmmakers that are passionate about what they do and a part of it is our upbringing like when you are raised as a mormon and whether you leave or not you're raised to evoke and say what you feel and stand up in front of an audience and say this is what i believe and this is why i believe and i'm going to go knock on bloody doors i'm going to go knock on doors for two years because i believe this yeah go on a mission whether you stay in that church or leave it you still have that i'm going to say what i want and convict and you know i know me have taken that same kind of passion and teaching into um film and, and, and creating, and also a lot of my films I'd like to think have a decent message behind them. We should also, you know, attribute some of that, too, to the Salt Lake Film Society and, the, and the, you know, the documentary films. They've always 
you know, I mean, yeah, they they show them they show them before they're on TV. Yep. You, TV has become a big place for documentaries anymore with HBO and now Netflix sure. uh, doing it. But but Salt Lake Film Society, they've been here, yeah, man, and they, they they support it and they show them. And yeah. that's and the Film Society with at the Broadway and Tower mm-hmm. that show great films. And yeah. I'm on the board there. I just can't say enough good about them and what they do. Also for the artists in the community, but the Utah Film Center and the films they show here and the way they help filmmakers. Mm-hmm. They, it's you know so it's uh, and I guess just to kind of wrap this up you know you you're you were a young kid in Pleasant Grove and I'm you still thought, a young kid Bill <laughs> but you're not in Pleasant Grove <laughs> no, I'm not, no. and I'm gonna I want to make movies I saw Indiana Jones and now I want to make movies and um, and you know if you're so you, you can do it. You know, I, 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 I can do it, and I guess I just and blindly went in and said, I'm stupidly going to do this stupid thing not knowing how difficult and hard it is, and I'm not going to lie, making films is hard. It's work, and it's time, and it's energy, and it's convincing, and it is not by any means a very uh, uh, lucrative. It's okay. I do okay, and some mm-hmm. people do very well at it, um, but it, you're, you're not guaranteed a spot uh, as, a, as a filmmaker. But as I would tell people who are interested in it, I would say, look, go into it passionately. You know, you have to love it and you have to be good at it and you have to work hard at it. But um, I think the main thing, and I tell people this and I have a lot of people say, like, I want to make a movie or I'm going to write a script or I'm going to write a, And I, I want them to. And I say, look, you may have it, but I have a job and I can't do it. I can't do it because I have a job or I'm doing commercials and I can't make movies. And I'm like, if you don't spend some time every day. And I, you know, this sounds like, uh, you know, like some kind of, you know, uh, motivational speaker thing. But mm-hmm. if you can't spend 10 minutes on your dream every day, then just don't fucking do it. Like, don't tell me you want to make movies and you didn't spend 10 minutes today on yeah. it or an hour on it today or 20 minutes or eight hours. Don't tell me you're going to do it if you can't afford 10 minutes. So. Even when I have, when I'm in the middle of the MTV project and it's taking all my time, my dream project was to make Salamander and I'd spend 10 minutes a day on it or 20 minutes or an hour and it didn't, every single day, um, you have to work on your dream. Otherwise, don't. You thought about how to make it and how to, what to do. And and I read every book and I researched everything I could and, and you know, and you just have to, every day. There's, dream. there's the best advice right there. Yeah, Just yeah, and it doesn't, you know, some people have jobs, but if you can't afford 10 minutes or an hour or whatever, and if nothing else, that gives you a reason. Like, I, you know, I wake up in the morning and as stupid as it sounds, I say, all right, I go into my home office and I say, time to make movies. Because making movies isn't just calling action and lining up shots. It's spreadsheets and it's tax forms and it's, you know, in design. And it's that is making movies mm-hmm. is sitting in your office, reading a book and taking notes. And every day I make a movie. It's uh, it, I think I've been th- sitting here thinking as you say that about my friend Trent Harris, who uh, has <laughs> who's who's, you know, never had a commercial success, really. I mean, Ruben and Ed was great, but yeah. I wouldn't dare say not, commercial. It was not a commercial success. No, no. And, and Trent. Harris for 25 30 years has made movies but do you think and that's what he does every day he goes into his office Uh and he works on a movie yeah every day Uh uh-huh and you know like Richard Dutcher who's here in town Mm -hmm. you know he just every day he makes a movie and there's a a really great filmmakers in town who every day they make a movie Mm -hmm. and you know it may not be their main source of income but they make a movie and there's something to be said about that yeah and whether it's stupid you know and go out and get a real job or you just have to respect. Look, every person who makes a movie, I take my hat off to them because 
when you put the end credits in a film, you worked really hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've I've been in two Trent Harris movies, and I know what it... <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> one of them I worked really hard on, yeah. and, it, and it was just like... It, even tr- the, and he does minimal production yeah, really yeah and it's still so damned hard you can't stand it <laughs> I know, Which is like, God, I know but he does it yeah. and, he, and he's trying such a just a likable guy uh, he and he's just, you know he's borderline curmudgeon at the same <laughs> yep. time he's just such he's a great, great cat i don't like anything but i really like everything that's <laughs> <laughs> kind of true it's exactly yeah. right i don't like any should be his tattoo I, yep i don't uh, like anything t- but tyler I really me some like thanks everything. uh well, thank you, Bill. This is a great show, and you, you're doing you do great interviews, and not everyone can handle you know do interviews as well as you do. You come researched, you know the subject, you know the stories most of the time. Yeah, and you know there's most people don't genuinely listen; they just wait for your their turn to talk. And I'm you're sorry, what did you say? You're one of those people that actually genuinely listens to their subject well, and makes them feel comfortable. Because I like, I mean, I like talk. I like finding out about what you do and oh, who great. you are and how you do it and sitting across from you and you can't lie to me yeah you know you sit there and i'll ask you questions and i'll know if you're lying to me oh come <laughs> on i do okay i know oh well, maybe i threw a few flat fastballs past you this time uh probably no, you I probably did, did. <laughs> no <laughs> uh tyler me some thanks so much thank you Bill. uh and uh, best of luck with you. let you us Dylan. know when these are coming out of make course. sure i get my free copy of true believer with all the An extra stuff liar. on yeah, send him a Jesus. copy of true believer now i gotta make Why a phone call true believer just for you Shit. i don't know because you're not <laughs> listening <laughs> I, no, it's just one of those weird things that flip around in your That's head. Right, right. He couldn't remember the names of the m- people who worked on his movie. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he's worse than you. Cut me a Versus. break. Just uh, say the thing. Anyway, that's it. Uh, that's the end of the Let's Go Eat show. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, I'm Bill Allred. Remember, next time you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double. Broadway Media Podcast Network. 